Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Redress podcast, which is here to update our listeners on the work we've been doing to seek justice for torture survivors and develop stronger protections against torture. I'm Tom Davis, and this week's podcast is a special edition on enforced disappearances. Redress is currently working with partner organisations in Africa to end the use of enforced disappearance across the continent. 30th of August is the International Day of the Victims of Enforced Disappearance, established by the United Nations to draw attention to victims who have disappeared, either at the hands of state officials or by others acting with the tolerance of the state. The fate of many of these victims remains unknown, leaving their families and communities in a constant state of anguish. This day also honours those working with victims who can themselves be subjected to human rights abuses, including torture. To mark this day, Redress and our partners in Africa have been campaigning throughout the week to raise awareness of enforced disappearance. And on today's podcast, we'll be exploring the issue in detail, from its impact on victims and communities to the legal gaps and obstacles that prevent victims in Africa from finding the truth and obtaining justice and reparations. Joining me on the podcast today is Eva Nudd, a legal advisor at Redress who manages our project on enforced disappearances in Africa. Eva, welcome to the podcast. Now, could you start by explaining to our listeners what enforced disappearance is? Victims of enforced disappearances are people who have literally vanished from their loved ones and their community. They're deprived of their liberty against their will by the state agents or other people acting with the tolerance of the state. Perpetrators then deny that they have the victims in their custody or refuse to acknowledge their whereabouts. As the victims are placed outside the law, they're vulnerable to many abuses, including torture, sexual violence, and other violations. Many are killed or live in a constant fear of being killed or not knowing what will happen to them. The physical and psychological effects of the crime can stay with the victims long term, even when they are eventually released. However, many of them are not really, never released, and their fate remains unknown for decades, in some instances forever causing ongoing suffering to their families. For this reason, the families are also considered to be victims of enforced disappearances. Because enforced disappearances are heinous violations and the suffering that the victims endure, this crime is always considered a crime under the international law. Enforced disappearances were largely used by military dictatorships in the 1970s in in Latin America, but now disappearances happen in every region of the world and in a wide range of contexts. They are frequently used as a strategy to spread terror within the society. They're commonly carried out in internal conflicts, particularly by governments, governments trying to suppress dissent or those perceived to be a threat. And which particular groups of people tend to be targeted by governments using enforced disappearances for these purposes? Many victims of enforced disappearances tend to be political opponents, activists, journalists, human rights defenders, and persons from disadvantaged groups such as women, LGBTI individuals, migrants, ethnic and religious minorities. It is also important to remember that while men comprise a majority of victims of enforced disappearances, many women are impacted either as the direct victims of the crime or as relatives. But the impact of enforced disappearances on women is yet fully to be understood. Our campaign is focused on Africa where Redress and our partners have documented the ongoing practice of enforced disappearance by governments across the continent. Since the 1980s, the United Nations Working Group on Enforced or Involuntary Disappearances has received over 5,000 complaints of enforced disappearance involving African countries, 
but it is believed that there are many more cases that have gone unreported. Which countries are we focusing on and how are enforced disappearances being used by governments in these countries? Our project focuses on four countries, Libya, Sudan, Zimbabwe and Algeria, but it also looks at current trends on the continent that perpetuate enforced disappearances and the obstacle for victims to obtain justice and reparations. Last year in Sudan, during the protest that led to the ousting of President Omar al-Bashir, security forces and the government-backed militias used enforced disappearances as a tool to preserve national security and oppress the demonstrators. Particular mention should be given to the June 3rd massacre, during which more than a dozen protesters when forcibly disappeared when security forces attacked them during the peaceful demonstrations at a sitting in Khartoum. In Zimbabwe, we have witnessed an increase of cases of enforced disappearances against journalists and political opponents who oppose the measures imposed by the government in the context of COVID-19. Particularly in May this year, in Harare, three female opposition leaders were stopped at a police checkpoint on their way to a peaceful protest. They were abducted, tortured, and sexually assaulted. Another example of enforced disappearance being used to silence political opposition is the case of Seham Segewa. July 2020 marked one year since armed men abducted Seham from her home in Benghazi, and her fate, like so many others, remains unknown. To discuss her case and the extent of the problem in Libya, we are now joined by Elise Fletcher from Lawyers for Justice in Libya. Elise, who is Seham Segewa and what happened to her? Sagewa is a member of the Libyan House of Representatives and a defender of women's human rights. And on the 17th of July 2019, she was abducted from her home in Benghazi by militiamen. The men stormed her house and shot her husband in the leg twice before taking her to an unknown location. It's not confirmed who abducted Sagewa yet, but it is thought to be a militia affiliated with the Libyan Armed Forces, which is headed by Khalifa Haftar. So as you said, to this day and more than a year later, her fate still remains unknown. And despite many repeated calls for an investigation into her disappearance from her family, the international community and the Libyan House of Representatives, no official information has been disclosed about her whereabouts. So how widespread is the problem of enforced disappearance in Libya? And what are the challenges that victims face to seek justice, truth and reparations? Seham Sergewa's disappearance is probably one of the most well-known recent cases of enforced disappearance in Libya, but it's far from being an isolated case when it comes to people being targeted for their dissenting political opinions. And this specific case underlines the persistent climate of impunity for crimes of enforced disappearances in Libya. The criminal justice system in Libya is ineffective and not operational, especially when it comes to cases of human rights violations. Judges, prosecutors and lawyers who work on such cases have routinely become the target of violent attacks and threats. And as a result, the perpetrators of enforced disappearances are not held accountable. The victims' families remain in the dark and receive no support from Libyan authorities in the search of their relatives. And so as a consequence of all these different elements, victims are unable to access truth or justice or any sort of remedies in the case of enforced disappearances in Libya. Inyas Osman from MENA Rights Group 
who works with victims of enforced disappearance in Algeria, is here with us to discuss the long struggle of relatives who are still searching for their loved ones, almost two decades after the Algerian civil war ended. And yes, what effect has the long search for justice and truth had on victims? Families of disappeared persons have been treated unfairly and heavily stigmatized. To obtain compensation, families have been forced to sign statements saying that their relative died as a former terrorist or a victim of terrorism. And this really created a form of imposed grieving. And because the missing person was usually the family's breadwinner, this was even worse for women who felt obliged to accept the compensation to avoid being a burden for their families. Now, the main challenge is that families have no choice but to rely on the authorities' willingness to uncover the truth, and that creates a strong feeling of disempowerment. But to end on a positive note, I must say that despite these challenges, many women and wives have disappeared, have become activists and leaders in their communities, and should be honored for being such a telling example of resilience in the face of state denial. Sadly, despite the amazing resilience of these women, many obstacles remain in place for those seeking justice, truth and reparations in Algeria. What are the main challenges faced by victims and activists fighting against enforced disappearance in the country? After the civil war, families of the disappeared use various legal avenues to try to find their missing relatives, but face silence from the authorities which kept on denying any responsibility. In 2006, the Charter for Peace and National Reconciliation was enacted and officially deprived victims of their right to seek justice as families were forbidden from filing complaints for all crimes committed by the security forces, including enforced appearances. So from then on, domestic remedies, which were already ineffective, became completely unavailable. So to sum up, the main challenge that families face is state denial. And until we see a true willingness of the authorities to break with the past and address this issue, families will continue to be denied their right to truth and justice. So we've heard now what constitutes enforced disappearance. We've heard how it impacts victims, their families and their communities. And Elise and Inés have highlighted for us the common obstacles to justice, truth and reparations faced by victims across Africa. So I'm joined again now by Eva Nudd to discuss some solutions to these problems. Eva, what steps must African states take to eradicate enforced disappearance from the continent? A first crucial step would be to acknowledge this practice. We know that enforced disappearances have been committed in Africa since colonial times, and the practice continues to be widespread today. But we don't know the extent of the problem because states refuse to acknowledge the use of enforced disappearances and there is no official data on this phenomenon. This year will be the 10-year anniversary since the International Convention on the Protection of All Persons from Enforced Disappearances entered into force. However, only 17 out of 54 states have ratified this treaty. For example, Libya, Sudan, Zimbabwe, and Algeria have not done so. It would be a big step forward for justice if more African states would ratify the Convention. Ratifying the Convention is crucial because it is the main international treaty that aims at preventing this crime from happening, discovering the truth, as well as making sure that survivors and their families receive justice and reparation. 
It would also be important for African states to develop and adopt regional guidelines that address enforced disappearances, which currently don't exist, as they do in Latin America, where they have proven to be very effective to tackle the problem in the region. finish today's podcast let me tell you a little bit more about redress's enforced disappearance in africa project and how you can get involved we are working with four ngos lawyers for justice in libya zimbabwe lawyers for human rights the african center for justice and peace studies in sudan and MENA rights group in algeria and the project has a number of aims we're supporting african human rights lawyers and victims groups to bring cases challenging enforced disappearance We are empowering victims to speak about their experiences and advocate for justice on their own behalf. And finally, we are raising awareness of this problem at national, regional and international level. For example, we recently hosted a webinar with officials from the United Nations and the African Commission on Peoples and Human Rights. To follow our social media campaign, search Justice for ED in Africa. That's the number four. And you can also find more information on our website at www.redress.org. And that's all for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcasting platform. And we hope you will continue to support the important work of obtaining redress for torture survivors.